Chapter Thirty Nine of the Old Curiosity Shop. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Mill Nicholson. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter Thirty Nine. All that day, though he waited for Mr. Abel until evening, Kit kept clear of his mother's house, determined not to anticipate the pleasures of the morrow, but to let them come in their full rush of delight for to-morrow was the great and long-looked-for epoch in his life. To-morrow was the end of his first quarter, the day of receiving, for the first time, one-fourth part of his annual income of six pounds, in one vast sum of thirty shillings. To-morrow was to be a half-holiday, devoted to a whirl of entertainments, and little Jacob was to know what oysters meant, and to see a play. All manner of incidents combined in favour of the occasion— not only had Mr. and Mrs. Garland forewarned him that they intended to make no deduction for his outfit from the great amount, but to pay it him unbroken in all its gigantic grandeur. Not only had the unknown gentleman increased the stock by the sum of five shillings, which was a perfect godsend, and in itself a fortune, not only had these things come to pass, which nobody could have calculated upon, or in their wildest dreams have hoped, but it was Barbara's quarter, too. Barbara's quarter that very day, and Barbara had a half-holiday as well as Kit, and Barbara's mother was going to make one of the party, and to take tea with Kit's mother, and cultivate her acquaintance. To be sure, Kit looked out of his window very early that morning, to see which way the clouds were flying, and to be sure, Barbara would have been at hers too, if she had not sat up so late overnight, starching and ironing small pieces of muslin, and crimping them into frills, and sewing them on to other pieces, to form magnificent holes for next day's wear. But they were both up very early for all that, and had small appetites for breakfast, and less for dinner, and were in a state of great excitement when Barbara's mother came in, with astonishing accounts of the fineness of the weather out of doors, but with a very large umbrella notwithstanding for people like Barbara's mother seldom make holiday without one. And when the bell rang for them to go upstairs and receive their quarter's money in gold and silver. Well wasn't Mr. Garland kind when he said, "'Christopher, here's your money, and you have earned it well.' And wasn't Mrs. Garland kind when she said, "'Barbara, here's yours, and I'm much pleased with you.' And didn't Kit sign his name bold to his receipt? and didn't barbara sign her name all a-trembling to hers and wasn't it beautiful to see how mrs garland poured out barbara's mother a glass of wine and didn't barbara's mother speak up when she said here's blessing you ma'am as a good lady and you sir as a good gentleman and barbara my love to you and here's towards you mr christopher and wasn't she as long drinking it as if it had been a tumblerful and didn't she look genteel, standing there with her gloves on? And wasn't there plenty of laughing and talking among them, as they reviewed all these things upon the top of the coach, and didn't they pity the people who hadn't got a holiday? But Kit's mother, again, wouldn't anybody have supposed she had come of a good stock, and been a lady all her life? There she was, quite ready to receive them, with a display of tea-things that might have warmed the heart of a china-shop, and little Jacob and the baby in such a state of perfection that their clothes looked as good as new, though heaven knows they were old enough. Didn't she say, before they had sat down five minutes, that Barbara's mother was exactly the sort of lady she expected, 
and didn't Barbara's mother say that Kit's mother was the very picture of what she had expected, and didn't Kit's mother compliment Barbara's mother on Barbara, and didn't Barbara's mother compliment Kit's mother on Kit, and wasn't Barbara herself quite fascinated with little Jacob, and did ever a child show off when he was wanted, as that child did, or make such friends as he made? "'And we're both widows, too,' said Barbara's mother. "'We must have been made to know each other.' "'I haven't a doubt about it,' returned Mrs. Nobbles. "'And what a pity it is we didn't know each other sooner.' "'But then, you know, it's such a pleasure.' said Barbara's mother, to have it brought about by one son and daughter that it's fully made up for, now ain't it? To this Kit's mother yielded her full assent, and tracing things back from effects to causes, they naturally reverted to their deceased husbands, respecting whose lives, deaths, and burials they compared notes, and discovered sundry circumstances that tallied with wonderful exactness such as barbara's father having been exactly four years and ten months older than kit's father and one of them having died on a wednesday and the other on a thursday and both of them having been of a very fine make and remarkably good-looking with other extraordinary coincidences these recollections being of a kind calculated to cast a shadow on the brightness of the holiday kit diverted the conversation to general topics and they were soon in great force again and as merry as before among other things kit told him about his old place and the extraordinary beauty of nell of whom he had talked to barbara a thousand times already but the last-named circumstance failed to interest his hearers to anything like the extent he had supposed and even his mother said looking accidentally at barbara at the same time that there was no doubt miss nell was very pretty but she was but a child after all and there were many young women quite as pretty as she and barbara mildly observed that she should think so and that she never could help believing Mr. Christopher must be under a mistake, which Kit wondered at very much, not being able to conceive what reason she had for doubting him. Barbara's mother, too, observed that it was very common for young folks to change at about fourteen or fifteen, and whereas they had been very pretty before, to grow up quite plain, which truth she illustrated by many forcible examples, especially one of a young man who, being a builder with great prospects, had been particular in his attentions to Barbara, but whom Barbara would have nothing to say to, which, though everything happened for the best, she almost thought was a pity. Kit said he thought so too, and so he did, honestly, and he wondered what made Barbara so silent all at once, and why his mother looked at him as if he shouldn't have said it. However, it was high time now to be thinking of the play— for which great preparation was required in the way of shawls and bonnets, not to mention one handkerchief full of oranges and another of apples, which took some time tying up, in consequence of the fruit having a tendency to roll out of the corners. At length everything was ready, and they went off very fast, Kit's mother carrying the baby, who was dreadfully wide awake, and Kit holding little Jacob in one hand and escorting Barbara with the other a state of things which occasioned the two mothers who walked behind to declare that they looked quite family folks, and caused Barbara to blush and say, "'No, don't, mother!' But Kit said she had no call to mind what they said, and indeed she need not have had, if she had known how very far from Kit's thoughts any love-making was. Poor Barbara! At last they got to the theatre, which was Astley's and in some two minutes after they had reached the yet unopened door, little Jacob was squeezed flat, and the baby had received diverse concussions, 
and Barbara's mother's umbrella had been carried several yards off, and passed back to her over the shoulders of the people, and Kit had hit a man on the head with a handkerchief of apples for scrouging his parent with unnecessary violence, and there was a great uproar. But when they were once past the pay-place, and tearing away for very life with their cheques in their hands, and above all, when they were fairly in the theatre, and seated in such places that they couldn't have had better if they had picked them out, and taken them beforehand, all this was looked upon as quite a capital joke, and an essential part of the entertainment. Dear, dear, what a place it looked, that Astley's, with all the paint, gilding, and looking-glass, the vague smell of horses suggestive of coming wonders, the curtain that hid such gorgeous mysteries, the clean white sawdust down in the circus, the company coming in and taking their places, the fiddlers looking carelessly up at them while they tuned their instruments, as if they didn't want the play to begin, and knew it all beforehand. What a glow was that, which burst upon them all! when that long, clear, brilliant row of lights came slowly up, and what the feverish excitement when the little bell rang and the music began in good earnest, with strong parts for the drums and sweet effects for the triangles. Well might Barbara's mother say to Kit's mother that the gallery was the place to see from, and wonder it wasn't much dearer than the boxes. Well might Barbara feel doubtful whether to laugh or cry in her flutter of delight. Then the play itself— the horses, which little Jacob believed from the first to be alive, and the ladies and gentlemen, of whose reality he could be by no means persuaded, having never seen or heard anything at all like them, the firing, which made Barbara wink, the forlorn lady, who made her cry, the tyrant, who made her tremble, the man who sang the song with the lady's maid, and danced the chorus, who made her laugh, the pony who reared up on his hind legs when he saw the murderer, and wouldn't hear of walking on all fours again until he was taken into custody, the clown who ventured on such familiarities with the military man in boots, the lady who jumped over the nine-and-twenty ribbons and came down safe upon the horse's back, everything was delightful, splendid, and surprising. Little Jacob applauded till his hands were sore. Kit cried, Encore! at the end of everything. The three-act piece included— and Barbara's mother beat her umbrella on the floor in her ecstasies, until it was nearly worn down to the gingham. In the midst of all these fascinations, Barbara's thoughts seemed to have been still running on what Kit had said at tea-time, for, when they were coming out of the play, she asked him, with an hysterical simper, if Miss Nell was as handsome as the lady who jumped over the ribbons. "'As handsome as her,' said Kit, "'double as handsome.' "'Oh, Christopher!' "'I'm sure she was the beautifulest creature ever was,' said Barbara. "'Nonsense,' returned Kit. "'She was well enough. I don't deny that. "'But think how she was dressed and painted, and what a difference that made. "'Why, you are a good deal better looking than her, Barbara.' "'Oh, Christopher,' said Barbara, looking down. "'You are, any day,' said Kit. "'And so's your mother.' "'Poor Barbara.' What was all this, though, even all this, to the extraordinary dissipation that ensued, when Kit, walking into an oyster-shop as bold as if he lived there, and not so much as looking at the counter or the man behind it, led his party into a box, a private box, fitted up with red curtains, white tablecloth, and cruet-stand complete, and ordered a fierce gentleman with whiskers, who acted as waiter and called him— him, Christopher Nubbles, sir, to bring three dozen of his largest-sized oysters, and to look sharp about it. 
Yes, Kit told this gentleman to look sharp. And he not only said he would look sharp, but he actually did, and presently came running back with the newest loaves, and the freshest butter, and the largest oysters ever seen. Then said Kit to this gentleman, A pot of beer? Just so. And the gentleman, instead of replying, Sir, did you address that language to me? only said, Pot of beer, sir? Yes, sir. And went off and fetched it, and put it on the table in a small decanter stand, like those which blind men's dogs carry about the streets in their mouths, to catch the halfpence in. And both Kit's mother and Barbara's mother declared, as he turned away, that he was one of the slimmest and gracefulest young men she had ever looked upon. Then they fell to work upon the supper in earnest. And there was Barbara, that foolish Barbara, declaring that she could not eat more than two, and wanting more pressing than you would believe before she would eat four, though her mother and Kit's mother made up for it pretty well, and ate and laughed and enjoyed themselves so thoroughly that it did Kit good to see them, and made him laugh and eat likewise from strong sympathy. But the greatest miracle of the night was little Jacob, who ate oysters as if he had been born and bred to the business sprinkled the pepper and the vinegar with a discretion beyond his years, and afterwards built a grotto on the table with the shells. There was the baby, too, who had never closed an eye all night, but had sat as good as gold, trying to force a large orange into his mouth, and gazing intently at the lights in the chandelier. There he was, sitting up in his mother's lap, staring at the gas without winking, and making indentations in his soft visage with an oyster-shell, to that degree that a heart of iron must have loved him. In short, there never was a more successful supper, and when Kit ordered in a glass of something hot to finish with, and proposed Mr. and Mrs. Garland before sending it round, there were not six happier people in all the world. But all happiness has an end, hence the chief pleasure of its next beginning, and as it was now growing late, they agreed it was time to turn their faces homewards. So, after going a little out of their way to see Barbara and Barbara's mother safe to a friend's house, where they were to pass the night, Kit and his mother left them at the door, with an early appointment for returning to Finchley next morning, and a great many plans for next quarter's enjoyment. Then Kit took little Jacob on his back, and giving his arm to his mother, and a kiss to the baby, they all trudged merrily home together. End of chapter 39